0: Hi all, welcome back. It's Vo, designer and facilitator for Seeds Rad Cafe, a political co-learning space for uh, Southeast Asian peoples. A pilot program. I designed this series in the summer of 2021, <laughs> 2021, late 2021, and for two. Um, and the plan was for two months. Um, a cohort of about 10 to 13, 12 people, with some, uh, with some other things going on, would pick topics of research based on some themes, some kind of like big picture themes and then share a bit about what they learned and that was internal this group was private and now this podcast is a chance for each of the people each of the active cohort members as they were called to share a bit outwardly for the public what they learned what kind of experience they had as well as like who they are outside of rat cafe what was their political journey like then and now and in the future and so today we have uh, Christian and Christian can say a little bit about themselves. Prior to this call, uh, prior to um, me pressing record, Christian and I were talking about their week at school doing several projects in class. So if how, would you like to sh- kind of do a little summary of what's been going on in the classroom for you? Yeah. Like, um, yeah.
1: Um, well, thank you for that little introduction. <laughs> My name is Christian. <laughs> I am based, uh, I currently reside on Shoshone and Goshoot lands here in the state of Utah. Um, I'm a student at, at Weber State University studying botany and plant ecology. Um, and I was telling Tree earlier about how, um, in some of my classes, uh, I do I spend a lot of time in the lab doing different experiments and research. Um, and for some of my classes, you know, I'm working with different medicinal plants, active compounds in medicinal plants, uh, to study like traditional ecological knowledge and uh, how we can have more holistic views of, um, I guess, medicine, but then also just holistic views of ways of living and connection to uh, our environment and our, and our landscapes. Um, And so I I turn to both native and indigenous knowledge, both from my own culture and other uh, cultural and ethnic groups as well, too. But in terms of an academia setting, (laughs) I have to look at lots of scientific uh, processes and experiments uh, and read a bunch of articles and literature to make sure that I'm running my experiment well. So I was just telling Tree that these past couple of weeks in my labs have been very difficult because sometimes or not sometimes, but um, in one of our experiments, uh, our like distillation column, we were trying to extract the essential oil from time um, and our distillation kind of boiled over and that kind of ruined our little column, but it wasn't too big of a like mess or hassle for us to like redo everything. So we were able to still take our sample and run it through like a HPLC, which stands for like high pressure something <laughs> um, but uh, GC is like a gas chromatography chamber uh, TLC thin layer chromatography we are running all these different uh, methods in order to visualize and understand the different active components in plants um, and if they provide enough you know medicinal comp or medicinal values in a specific plant and so in another one of my classes we we're working with uh, DNA genetic data uh, genetic material (laughs) from plants and we are specifically looking at you know how can we incorporate or I guess not incorporate but introduce certain genes into type of into you know whatever plant you're working with Um, but we also have done experiments in looking at like genetically modified or genetically engineered foods or what does GMO foods means? Or when people talk about like organic foods in like stores and stuff like that, is it really organic or what do they really mean by organic or genetically modified? And so if you look at the gene, when you look at the genomes of plants or these genetically modified food, there's specific genes that you can look for that will, that, uh, will be like, Oh, this is an indicator of a GMO product, or this is, uh, this might not be the best, uh, food health wise for you to eat because it has this specific gene inside of its plant genome so those experiments in terms of so to look at like DNA and plant DNA and understand genes we have to run like PCR tests do different kinds of like gel electrophoresis and work with so many different solvents and chemicals that I can't even name (laughs) because they're just so long mixing together all those things to understand plants and how plants help us as humans uh, has been very interesting To work with so far outside of lab i am also taking like a few other classes in terms of like natural like resource management um that class has been been super interesting because uh a lot of folks they are my white counterparts my white classmates and i'm the only brown student in class and working i guess not working with them but being in conversation having discussions with them (laughs) um, has been interesting because a lot of my perspectives my ideologies just from my background as a gender queer laotian person living in utah (laughs) such a we love intersecting identities yeah they all go together sitting in that class and talking about how we manage our natural resources or how we manage our environment has been interesting because their perspective as a uh, white student versus my perspective as a brown student is vastly different and sometimes uh i feel like whenever i have shared things you know about the bear river massacre here in utah or The coup that happened in Guatemala uh, with their indigenous peoples that revolve around the banana and United uh, Fruits Um, or uh, what I researched for uh, Rad Cafe uh, with Vietnam and the rubber tree. Sometimes I'll bring up all of these like global issues and a lot of them can't, a lot of my classmates, they can't even like comprehend what's going on in the world. Um, But then when I talk about local issues, you know, going back to the Bear River Massacre or what's going on with like the Great Salt Lake, Utah's in a drought period right now. (laughs) And uh, the Great Salt Lake is at its lowest level uh, that it's been in who knows how long. It's exposing lake bed. And when you're exposing that lake bed, you're exposing pollutants into the air, which causes health problems. My classmates understand that part. Um, but when i get to talking about you know colonization capitalism imperialism and all this these other kinds of uh all the different isms in the world (laughs) um and connecting it to landscapes or environment or plants uh they they don't quite grasp on to how culturally significant and how culturally significant the uh environment is to you know people they are just so focused on the the hard science, the scientific uh, empirical data and stuff like that too, which has been, I don't know, uh, I feel like that has been my experience throughout in like my journey of academia in general <laughs> is always being the Brown student in class and having to have these kinds of conversations with either my classmates, professors, faculty, staff members. Um, I used to be on a senate, uh, the student senate here on campus um, I involve myself a lot with the different campus and community things <laughs> and I think it's it part of the reason why I do that is because I'm trying to find my own community um, because here in Utah I haven't really been able to you know have that community. I do have a good good surrounding community now but earlier on in my life it was difficult so I think the reason why I engage myself in so many different uh, areas is because I'm trying to like I'm trying to nourish my ecosystem you know (laughs) i'm trying to feed back into my landscapes and my ecosystems in order to give back out into other ecosystems this idea of like reciprocity so um yeah that's kind of like what we talked about a little earlier before we started recording
0: (laughs) heck yeah thank you and you shared a little bit more and also and i appreciate you putting giving that giving uh sharing that with the audience about how you navigate academia um as in your interest around botany around ecology and as well as social relations, right? Political, social relations, because it all ties together, whether your your classmates know it or not, it impacts your life, your people's lives, their people's lives. And as you say, like you try your best to nourish the ecosystems that you have by um, entering and seeing what other ecosystems have to offer. You realize that a lot of other ecosystems are also poisoned by, um, by ignorance or um, literal poison in, in the whether it's like social poison or, or um, actual environmental poisons. And it's like, it's very discouraging because you're trying to find good stuff as you go out, but then you just get more and more bad stuff. And it's like, wow, my my heart, it can't take it. It's just like, you're just putting your heart out there only for it to keep getting worn down um, is how I'm kind of, are, are the things I, yeah. You know.
1: there's, so there's so much poison and toxic out in the world, whether if it is actual poisons and toxics, whether that be from plants or people. But yeah, I definitely think any ecosystem or everywhere you're gonna run into some sort of i was gonna say toxin but i don't know if that's the right word to use <laughs> poison toxin whatever
0: yeah and, and these poison toxin toxins at least in the space of people isn't like because poisons and toxins they don't have like an ideology they just like
1: <laughs> you're right i feel like i feel like they could have like a conscious <laughs> poisons and toxins can have consciousness
0: Oh my God! I well, isn't that just people? Isn't aren't aren't people? No, no, people aren't inherently that. But like, yeah, sometimes you you look at the world and you you see people and like, oh wow, that that person was a pool of bile in a previous life.
1: Like, yes, the plant, uh, the poisons and toxins that are, like, in terms of like plants, poisons being consciousness or having consciousness, uh, being people. I guess this could be like a conversation for later. But another thing that I think people you know start to think about or should be thinking about is. Are plants are plant sentient beings can they communicate how they control their poisons and toxins or whatever uh, resources they're allocating to you know their, their surrounding ecosystems and community mycorrhizal networks they shuttle lots of carbon resources towards you know the trees and other uh, symbiosis that they create with the underground root systems whether that be for trees for plants, shrubs, other fungi um, you know plants have a way of communicating, and alerting like, hey, this herbivore or something bad happened to me, I'm going to release a chemical uh, to, d- to deter it away, or oh, I'm going to attract this pollinator because I want them because it's going to benefit me, you know. Uh, I think plants and the environment have a way to communicate those poisons and toxins, um, but it's just in a language that we as people don't quite under, I guess, don't, I don't want to say don't quite understand because we do understand, you know, the chemistry behind it, but we think of plants being less than humans uh, because humans are in a sense more sentient if that makes sense (laughs) Um, but we we just undervalue uh, plants but yeah I think plants can teach us about how we uh, allocate poisons or how we uh, how we use our poisons and toxins in society
0: (laughs) that's right I would love to like see how far this um this metaphor goes because like i'm sure you can use poisons for good however that looks like but for the most part they're used to exploit they're used to opportune for for other kinds of nefarious and and extractive purposes um well if you're okay with that we'll, we'll set that aside for now and and get yeah, to know yeah. more about you <laughs> yeah of course yeah no i i want i want there to be way more spaces for us to talk about uh to kind of like tie uh weave these different conversations of the social and the ecological together for this podcast purposes i would love to know we the audience wants want to know more about you christian and how did you get into being a a a a pursuer of the truth and around ecology and understanding that and part two of that question when when did you have a sense of were, were you a botanist or were you a person of ecological pursuits before you like started thinking about politics were those two separate lanes that had a moment where they finally like dovetailed with each other for you
1: Yeah, I. I would say my uprising in my life first started out as, like, a, I guess you could say more as, like, an environmentalist, a botanist, you know, whatever. I, I've always had a passion or interest in the environment because, um, I I don't know, I just loved being outside um, and my family. My, family you know my mom is a refugee from Laos and having gone back to Laos and seeing my grandparents and other family members and getting to immerse myself in this like agricultural community you know seeing my grandpa's coconut farms or pig farms or like rice fields uh getting to explore all of that they definitely were like two separate lanes so like my ecological journey was like one part my political journey was another they slowly started to uh diverge together and come together I guess the more I involved myself both in community um but also the further along that I got into academia too you know um I was trying to explore where I could go in terms of like my interest of ecology and politics and also just like art I don't know art and like music and all that other stuff was kind of like floating around because it was stuff that kind of like kept me afloat um but I knew that my passions were like through the environment and uh ecology and stuff like that too and I think that came about when I first went back home to Laos, uh, which was when I was around like five or six years old, over there, I just saw so many uh, people burning their garbage, uh, burning their trash. It was just like a common thing, like uh, there wasn't a way of like disposal of like getting rid of their trash or like getting rid of uh, you know waste and stuff like that too. And from a young age, I was just like, that is putting so much bad chemicals and toxins uh, out into the earth and like, obviously younger me didn't have the language to talk about that but like back then in my mind i was like something's not right about burning trash but then i think i think being asian a southeast asian diaspora um having you know lived over in laos for a little bit but then also coming back here to america's uh just seeing that big difference of like oh america treats waste and like you know garbage and disposal like this this and that versus uh you know back home in southeast asia they are some people are burning their trash other people are like i don't want to say organizing their waste but they're actually like taking care of their waste instead of just like burning it (laughs) so just seeing those two big differences in cultures and in different countries something in me from that young age just clicked in terms of like that's not good for the earth i want to understand it more and i always i always just like loved being out as i mentioned before just like love being outside whether uh that was like fishing at the lakes even though i could never catch any fish with my family members i was so bad at fishing (laughs) um which is why i was good at looking at plants and flowers and pretty things (laughs) um i could i you know i could spot out you know oh this is like a miner's lettuce that you can eat if you find out in the field you know what subsistence or there's this kind of lily or flower this you you know all these other kinds of things um i took an interest into that from an early age but my i guess you could say like my political so shifting to like the political road (laughs) uh from the ecological road uh my political journey is an interesting one because i never made it like an important thing for me to like label like my politics or i still like engaged in politics but not to the extent that, you know, back then going and speaking to like city council members or talking to Congress members or going to my state capitol, going to different like caucus meetings and stuff like that too. Back then I never did that. Um, I had conversations with my family members and friends. Coming from the state of Utah, it is a it's a red state, I will say that. <laughs> I'll just say it's a red state. It's very um, conservative, uh, very, I, I don't know, all the all the labels you can throw out. My political journey, part of me that doesn't like to label. back then, when I was younger, I think the reason why I didn't want to label myself was because the environment that I was in that I grew up in because my perspectives, my ideologies, and my politics were so different from the majority here. I felt like if I identified myself as different or you know as whatever, Um, I would be outed as like the black sheep or outed as you know this outlier and you know who knows what people would do because people are crazy (laughs) Um, But who knows what would have happened if I did uh, you know label myself uh, different political identities Um, and so I to this day I still I still don't quite feel like I fit into you know one label like one category because uh kind of referring back to what I mentioned earlier like I I'm in my ecosystem I'm trying to pull as much like as many different resources as I can to sustain and maintain my ecosystem whether it is beneficial to like put a label on that or name it uh that can be up for discussion <laughs> but in terms of again like my political stances I I guess the the words that are the buzzwords that are going around right now you know socialism communism marxism all that kind of stuff um those ideologies I again like I I kind of grew up with you know communism it was a conversation in my family because uh if you I guess know the histories of Laos <laughs> um it, it, French communism uh it was ruled by, it, over communism and the perspectives that I would get from both family members and how the you know people here in Utah would view communism was so interesting um sometimes they would like overlap where some people in my family were scared of communism and didn't uh um the reason why you know they they tell me that they Uh, left or had to leave was because the communist state was ruining their uh, country Um, but then like on the flip side I was like but didn't America bomb your country didn't French didn't all these European countries also tear down your country too like how come you're blaming your own country and not looking at like other influences and stuff like that too Um, versus like the the U.S. perspective of like not perspective, but, like, U.S. ignorance of, like, you know, they are just going to bomb the entire South and Southeast Asia, and they're going to forget about it. Um, Because the conversations that I've had with people here in the state of Utah, that's the only thing they know about Southeast Asia is, like, oh, yeah, we had the Vietnam War, we dropped some bombs, but that's it. This is where the roads start to, like, merge together, Uh, my ecological journey and my political journey, learning that history of the secret war on, uh, on Laos, the Vietnam War, um, and all of these other uh, tragedies in different countries, whether that be Latin America, Africa, Asia, there is a missing part of the story here, and that is coming from the environment. We're not listening to our landscapes. We're not listening to our environment. Yes, America, you know, did heavily bomb Southeast Asia, um, but the impacts on the environment aren't talked about as much as how it's impacting people politically, socially. Uh, My interests my ecology interest uh and political interests in terms of like my family uprising or telling me i guess telling me about their experiences with their home country you know their experiences with the communist state um versus like their experience here in america where they think they are living a better life and receiving you know better opportunity x y and z but then they're still being exploited or treated differently because from a young age i Love listening to the environment, looking at flowers. I loved listening to water and just looking at the little algae and moss in the water. Um, Thinking about, you know, my history as a Southeast Asian, I'm here in America now. What does that mean for me? If, you know, America had not heavily bombed my family's country, would I still be back home in Laos? Or would I, you know, what would life look like if my moms my grandparents their houses they weren't fighting in trenches they hadn't they didn't have to go into bomb shelters and stuff like that what would my life look like and uh i think i've always been just like such a curious person ever since i was put onto this earth (laughs) i was always curious and so because of my curiosity i i started to try and find ways you know how uh environment and politics kind of like in uh social systems kind of like merged together because I I saw back then how plants made me feel how the environment made me feel Um, and then that reflected in how like I interacted with others or how I engage with people or even how I engage with the landscape itself and so I was just like if that is happening to me what does it look like with, for other people? Or what, how does that look like for other people? Um, and so I tried to get in, uh, like, you know, I tried to have conversations with uh, my elders and other people in my family, uh, trying to hear their stories, you know, the stories that I get from my family members, whether that be like them in the refugee camps or them having to go to these bomb shelters and hearing gunfires and bombs just like exploding while they're hiding underground or uh, in the trenches. Uh, It just made me think about how grateful I am that I'm able to have this opportunity to just like explore that history but just from like a different perspective like I'm not experiencing all those like tragedies and scares that my older family members had that my family members had to go through because my mom provided my siblings and us opportunity to come here I'm able to understand their experiences and their histories from both my like political and ecological realm because my social identities that are tied with my family's stories versus how, you know, or not versus, but like how those stories are connected to, you know, their environment, their food systems, their food systems being, you know, the rice fields, the farm, the other wildlife plant farms, whatever you want to call them, (laughs) Um, the other farms that they had to take care of, you know, how that's being affected, how how it's affecting me, because I'm not experiencing it firsthand, but I'm still affected by it, if that makes sense. (laughs) And so um, I'm able to, of pick at you know different stories that my family tells me and incorporate this ecological political uh perspective from like a cultural perspective from the storytelling perspective that i didn't typically get here when i was younger in utah they're definitely especially where i'm at in my life right now they definitely the ecological political roads they are uh meeting uh you know the two forks in the roads they are think of it as like reverse so instead of like taking the two forks on the roads it's now funneling into one <laughs> through that little funnel there's still barriers that i'm still trying to like navigate and go through because uh again i'm still trying to understand my histories as a southeast asian but then also understand my histories from uh, like an environmental perspective you know how how did the vietnam war affect the plants and rice farms or coconut farms or um, other landscapes in southeast asia like you know what happened to the soils of those lands what happened to the food systems of the peoples there Um, and i think food again is like another conversation to have for another time but the impacts that these bombs and chemical warfare have on the soils it accumulates up into the food chain i guess you can say that so it starts in the soil and it gets into the plants people eat the plants or i guess i should say people animals etc eat the plants and then again it accumulates into us as people and what does that look like you know we're ingesting rice or different cucumbers and herbs that might have that might have the chemicals from the chemical warfare that happened during the vietnam war um maybe in small amounts, but if you eat enough, how much are you accumulating in your body? This bioaccumulation, you know, people eat plants, people eat animals, uh, and those all come from the soils. And uh, these wars heavily devastated those soils. And so what does that that look like both ecologically, environmentally, ecologically, and then what does that look like in terms of seeding the soils, seeding the way for the peoples that live on the soils?
0: Something that you said earlier, I mean, several things that you said earlier, but the one thing that's sticking out to me is like the question of how and for, for the audience, if I don't edit this out, just I live in an, I, I live within with my Viet-speaking family. So, you know, soaking that in, you know, that's, that's what we do here in Red Cafe. The question you asked about like how uh, we're soaking in, our, we don't pay attention to our environment and, and there seems to be a subordination of like what happens to the environment uh, subordinated under like the impact on humans, right? The environment and ecology is only important um, to analyze or to to steward if it's in service to to human beings. And like plants aren't as sentient as you say, or able to equip their sentience with such potency and agility as humans. Uh, mm-hmm. They they can't like can contest the power and contest the imposition of power as humans can. And so I'm curious, you know, because I'm so distracted right now that I can't like synthesize all the thoughts I would like to synthesize. I like you. <laughs> I would love to hear your thoughts on. Um, what that means as we talk about your your topic the topic that you got into at um with rad cafe Hevea brasiliensis or the rubber tree and latex as the commodity crop so to speak the white the white blood of the places that it was made into a crop the crop yeah. and, and planted yeah the plantation these crops are for for the sake of, of the people who colonized them and even and then the people the people who are whose labor were exploited to create the crops they are lesser than the, the people who have the means to impose so in a sense both the crops the plants and like the exploited people are on the same plane of being used for a certain class of people. So it's not all humans that are more sentient, more powerful than the plants. It's just the ones with whatever means, whatever currency and such. What you said earlier about um, being curious about like, why are we burning trash? Why are we doing all these like things that are bad for our environment? And like, the more we zoom out, the more we realize that what I just said about people who have more power, who like created currency and created uh systems of exploitation so that all the money again what you said like bioaccumulation economic accumulation to the top Mm -hmm. and like all the power gets stuck up here and no one down here is able to take it back and so that's like the history of like why all these things that you're talking about exist why your country was devastated can we think of a uh, another universe where our countries aren't devastated without like thinking about economic accumulation to the top that allows this group of people to kind of devastate the rest of the world for their gain, which is the story that undergirds all kind, of, all the devastation that you're speaking to that we can't just live in our own countries without like someone coming in and being like, we are gonna use this land for our own um, extractive purposes. So we'd love to hand it back to you. Um.
1: Yeah, of course. I, um, I think to go back to your first uh, comment about, you know, plants are not seen as being so sentient Um, and they aren't able to you know express that that kind of power that you know humans can um, hold i think with that the plants and the environment are very reflective of our human society and then to get into the uh into my topic of uh that i explored for rad cafe with the rubber tree uh scientific name have brasiliensis exploring how that plant is reflective of what the community looks like now so community you could look at it again from the ecological perspective or the political perspective so when you're talking about community you can look at what plant communities or what wildlife flora and fauna communities are in that community but then you're also looking at the political side of things of like what kinds of people are in this community i think plants and the environment are very reflective of how humans express their power this tree in the name itself uh in the species so haveea is the genus braziliensis being the species name um brazil is in the name and that is because have braziliensis the the rubber tree is native to brazil in brazil there was a plant pathogen known as blight Um, it's a local blight and it took out and took out a majority of the rubber trees in brazil through colonization um you know, everyone's carrying seeds and spices and other stuff and bringing foreign things to other countries, whether that be diseases, uh, plants, animals, whatever else. Haveli Brasiliensis started to travel and make its way around the world. It landed in Latin America and it landed in. Uh, parts of Africa, and it thrived a little bit in those regions, but it wasn't until it arrived in uh, Southeast Asia that's where it started to boom and explode. One, I know it's because that the blight that was in Brazil, it's not found in other parts of the countries. That's one of the reasons why um, that have Brasiliensis uh, has optimal conditions to grow in Southeast Asia. My other hypothesis of why have Brasiliensis uh really took place and like thrived in southeast asia is because of the you know environmental conditions that it's in good climate for the most part you know it's pretty hot but also wet at the same time it is having enough nutrients and resources for the plant to grow but also if you look at it from the side of you know the people this tree is an invasive species yet it is what brings the people a lot more attraction to their country you know if that makes sense this idea of like native or invasive species uh, is interesting because I feel like when we talk about invasive species, whether that be plants or people because uh, col- with colonizations, those people are invasive <laughs> uh, to the native peoples. So you can talk about it in so many different ways, but I think with the language of it, like invasive, it has a negative connotation when we talk about like invasive species. So one of the things that I, again, like to explore is this idea of like language. How do we talk about specific things? Rather than using the language of like invasive species, I see these species as, you know, uh, teachers or mirrors you know they're like reflective of both the people and like the plant again going back to like the whole community thing <laughs> trying to make all these connections a, a little all over the place with have brasiliensis you know it's an invasive species but it's really thriving and i think if you look at the politics you know with french colonial power coming into vietnam and other parts of southeast asia the french being the invasive species yet a lot of the peoples especially when i've gone back home to laos I see a lot of the people still practicing a lot of their cultural traditions and expressing themselves as their cultural identity and not letting that French colonialism really like silence or like deter them or like minimize their voices and identity. But yeah, so uh, talking about the active components, the reason why people are so fascinated with hevea brasiliensis is because the active component in this plant, in this tree is latex. And we know latex to be where we get all of our, you know, rubber gloves, our tires for our cars, um, I'm not wearing a hair tie but like hair ties if you have long hair and stuff like that too or just like rubber bands and very small objects of our everyday living i guess now in covid it's nice if people have rubber gloves and people are thinking like oh i need to have ppe and all that kind of stuff too you know the people that would only care if they had rubber gloves are people like doctors surgeons people who are working in labs and stuff like that too or whatever else um, and then again rubber tires people don't think about the tires on their car unless it's a flat tire or they need to get new tires or like the tread of their tires they don't look at where these commodities are coming from where these commodities are being naturally sourced or if a lot of the latex that we have it's entirely i guess not entirely maybe like 97 98 percent made from the latex compound from the rubber tree um, but then like the other one or two percent is synthesized to make up for errors and making sure that we uh, as people can have our commodities like tires for our cars
0: gloves hair ties trash bins etc um Um, let me be let me be the comedian here condoms condoms yeah (laughs) latex condoms
1: is one that people also use in their everyday life i would hope so (laughs) um uh, but yeah not a lot of people are thinking about where this commodity is being sourced from and so with the rubber trees you know the story and history of the rubber trees and latex being attached to these rubber trees I guess pun intended (laughs) attached (laughs) they hold a history and they hold a story that traveled a long ways to get to be the tires on your car the gloves on your hand um, the condoms that you're using (laughs) exploring this plant politically was such an interesting perspective for me in my academics and just like in my own personal research my mindset has always been the very scientific botanists, ecologists, hard empirical data kind of stuff because that is just the nature that i grew up in especially here in the state of utah (laughs) but that's just like the environment that i grew up in and that's just what i was taught to do like i can't think about plants as a socio-political thing like plants are just things that are in the environment and the, the things that we look at things that are pretty the things that we give to our friends or family members that we love or you know all that kind of stuff and so exploring this particular plant in terms of a like sociopolitical thing, sociopolitical crop uh, was very fascinating.
0: I would use political economic crop, political
1: economic, because crop, yeah,
0: we include yeah the economic part, um, informing the political relations of things. Yeah, not to yeah. be like an asshole about it, but yeah. Oh yeah. no,
1: yeah, it to- it it definitely connects because again, like this economy uh, is, or that is the point of this rubber tree is commodifying and finding value in its in its purpose and it's profit
0: making aspect
1: yeah yeah, and it's and it's entity. so like this this plant just used to live in nature it wasn't doing anything it was just being a plant you know probably providing other resources to other plants and other communities um but then humans were like hey this looks like something we can utilize and then they started to try and find ways to make profit uh both off of the people and then also the plants uh, you know when it started to make its way to southeast asia and rubber plantations started sprouting out from the grounds that history that's tied to latex and that's tied to the Hevea brasiliensis the rubber tree it reflects the stories that we have as people and whether you look at the ecological story or the socio-political story of this plant that i think the, there's value in looking at both ecological and sociopolitical perspectives in terms of like plants, you know? These plants provide humans life. If we didn't have the rubber tree and latex, we wouldn't have tires on our cars and we wouldn't be able to transport and fly around or whatever. And if you think about it now in COVID, you know, we wouldn't have our uh, latex gloves, you know, to keep ourselves protected from uh, other diseases or other viruses going um, around. I I think the environment holds the story of the people, um, and we tend to not look at those stories of the landscape, but I think there's a lot to look about. So going back to how I was saying, these invasive species are like mirrors to us so when they enter an environment it's reflective of who we are as people. I feel like our relationship with the environment has just been so warped because of colonization and capitalism especially capitalism you know again we're viewing this plant as a commodity only seeing its value for economic good but you know it can provide other opportunities that are not economic.
0: (laughs) Absolutely and to to that point that you're making that what What the commodity provides is is profit, and what capitalism says is only the people who own the commodity get to have all that surplus value from the thing right rather than all these people who who worked on plantations in Vietnam of many different ethnicities, a lot of Vietnamese people, and I think indigenous folks who were used to make that profit but paid. Like, not even a fraction, like, very little, if, if anything, in order to produce the surplus value for the owners. There's room for or Javier Braziliansis to exist on its own and not be an uh, economic good, a crop, but also it could be, and then the, the value could be distributed accordingly what people put in, which includes the labor of the people on these plantations, and who says we needed plantations for um, us to have the latex, to create tires, to create uh, gloves, to create other things, to have both the goods and, like, people's labor be, yeah, compensated. But that's not what happened. Like, group of people often in colonial relation, like the they they just wanted all it all for themselves. And uh, there's a great article that you found, Christian, and put into your your research uh, space from from the website Saigonier about. And I'll add this to the show notes for the podcast called "The Harrowing History of Vietnam's Rubber Plantations," which I think is I gotta read the rest of it. Just the start of it is just like spectacular overview and, and analysis of the rubber tree don't doesn't only exist or didn't only get brought to vietnam it was also in like other parts of latin america in africa and used to generate inordinate wealth for these plantation owners the crop persists today in the world because like it found like the most prolific proliferation as a crop in vietnam versus other places but but yeah we don't think about as you said we don't think about the environment the phrase we don't think about the environment outside of ourselves i mean we are the subject in that sense right so no matter what if there's a sense being constructed about like the value of of the environment it's a human being saying it not like another plant Mm -hmm. so like no matter what we're gonna as human beings we're gonna be talking about the environment's relationship to us because even if like there's a huge group of folks like yourself folks like us who are like Let's just leave the environment alone, or like be good stewards to it. There, there's an equal amount, if not more, people who are like, no, turn that shit into stuff that we can use. We don't care what what it takes. We don't care who gets stomped on as long as it's not our people. Just make sure that we can have cheap goods to make our lives nice and comfy. Sadly, that's gonna be that's like
1: it's always gonna be. Yeah, that's how human beings are gonna hash it out
0: <laughs> for all time. And and plants. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I was gonna say I wanted to mention what. Uh, the harrowing history of Vietnam's rubber plantations this uh uh blog article from the Saigonier I think what I like about how or what I one of the many things that I like about this uh, article is how it mentions uh that the rubber tree is is like the white blood of the forest you know it's leaving these trails of latex or white blood there's going to be people who who are going to be talking about like we as in I don't want to say we the people. Why did that come up? Oh my gosh. Um, we're going to be saying we as we the people, you know. Um, that's how a majority of folks are going to see it. But then there is, you know, that small chunk of people where we is in a symbiotic relationship with the environment. So we is not only the people, but it's also the environment. Um, and I think when this blog, the Cigoneer, uh how they mentioned that because it was desiccated in Brazil, it left the white blood, the latex there, um, but it's also leaving. The latex and white blood in vietnam because that's where the latex and rubber plantations are being produced humans like to be at the front and center of things and it is hard to talk about plants or other uh non-human things without uh without humans uh impose impeding imposing ourselves into the conversation so like it is always going to be a, a never-ending thing of like okay yes we're talking about this plant or this animal or this landscape but how can we benefit and profit or make value of it Um, And I think the Saigonier really does explore a lot of those topics, you know, whether it be because of the rubber tree, or it is uh, the conditions that the labor workers and the people that were working on the, you know, plantations are in. But yeah, I just wanted to mention that about the Saigonier, of how it incorporates the human aspect and the, again, like, environmental aspect to come together as this collective, like, we, so it's not just the people.
0: (laughs) That's right, that's right, absolutely. Cool. And I want to transition into um, I actually didn't know what the sequence, what sequence would make sense, because in our intake call um, and for the audience, each of the theme cycles, which there were four, um, Christian was in the second. I had like an intake call with the people who would be active and doing this uh, their own personal research. Christian shared about their work in different communities uh, globally and their research in like different global l- local environments, uh, especially with indigenous folks and how they were stewards of their lands. And I wanted you to uh, share a little bit more about like in your own time, your experiences in those programs and with the people. And, and briefly, before I forget, uh, in the Saigonier, towards the top, they talked about how the Olmecs were referred, the Olmecs mean like latex people. And I was that was interesting yeah. to... Uh, find out that, like, a whole group of people were named after, like, the commodity that they that they used. Um, but just a footnote. But yeah, go ahead, Christian.
1: Yeah, the Olmecs, they used this latex or the natural resource from the rubber tree to uh, create rubber balls or things for games or cultural things, but they also used it to make regalia or, like, attire. Um, in the Saigon era, it talks about how they made, like, capes or, like, rain jackets. It's similar to, like, Maya communities where You know they look up to the corn god or goddesses their whole identity is shaped around corn and you know the olmex the mesoamerican Olmecs, their identity is shaped around latex because they utilize this resource in so many different ways whether that be through a game of catch or they're wearing the latex but um to go into the things that i guess i involve myself in uh in terms of like research with indigenous peoples or like traditional ecological knowledge that really comes from Me, I think I mentioned this earlier too, me wanting to find a community for myself. um, Because growing up in the state of Utah, again, I immediately knew that I was different both because of the color of my skin, my perspectives, my ways of thinking. Again, at a young age, I didn't quite understand my like genderqueer identity, but I always knew that it was like there. I just didn't know how to name it. <laughs> um, so I always knew that I was just...
0: Sorry, did you say it was always there? Like, like your pronouns? Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, i was being <laughs> silly. No, I, I, was, I just didn't know how how if the joke landed of like, it, you said it was always there. And then I was like, it was always they, them, theirs. <laughs> like, that was <laughs> my <that, that, that, laughs>
1: Funny, yeah. Okay,
0: you can go ahead. You can go
1: ahead now. <laughs> My identities, I I just knew that I was so different from the mass majority of folks here in the state of Utah, and so I again just like took it upon myself to really find the community that I like felt connected with, and the Asian community is uh, is growing here in the state of Utah. Um, but we're in like small pockets spread across the state. And so it, it was very hard for me to find another Asian, let alone another Southeast Asian. <laughs> um, it was hard for me to find that sense of belonging and community. I sought out and looked towards the bigger ethnic population here in Utah, which is the, the Latino and Native American communities uh, are kind of where my community started to like build up, I guess you could uh, say that to be engaged with these people and them to already kind of like see me as you know their own they're like another brown person or really just being like oh you're another ethnic minority and we live in an, a predominantly white state um, and you don't have other Asian Asian friends or like an Asian community because at the high school I went to uh, the demographics um, of the high school I was like one out of three Asians at my high school, and the other two Asians uh, were East Asian people, and I didn't talk to them because again, my perspectives and my my uprising was so different from theirs, uh, them being either like adopted into a white family or uh, you know, sometimes there are Asians who uphold the model minority phenomena <laughs> who uh, abide by uh, colonialism and white supremacy and all that kind of stuff. and so Already, I was experiencing this again, like this outcast, this shun, and so um, to already be taken in by the Latinx, the Native American communities, um, I was just like, wow, these people are, you know, just so nice and so friendly, and they didn't even like ask me anything. They were just like, yeah, let me take care of you, or like, here, come have some pozole, have some fry bread with us, <laughs> um, come to our powwows, you know, learn not learn, but come and see our uh, traditional dances and learn about our culture and history, and. Um, I think that's why I I continue to engage myself in the things that I do, you know, I involve myself in different multicultural communities, um, because I one love learning about different cultures, but being around other multicultural groups makes me feel I guess this like sense of home, you know, you get. I guess you could call it that. I, I've always felt displaced. That's a good word, you know, to use. I've always felt displaced because I never felt like I belonged here in Utah. I never felt like I belonged back home in Laos because they saw me again as like Asian diaspora. They they saw me as an American because I I was born here, um, and so I I always felt displaced. I never felt like I had as I was as. I grow up and as i am growing older the concept of home isn't something material or isn't really a place it home is what i carry with myself um and the people that i carry with me you know too being involved in different multicultural communities they are the people who have made me who i am i guess this is where i can like incorporate where you know i use they them their pronouns um they them again means i carry my people with me um and it feels like a dishonor or like an injustice if I don't acknowledge them you know the people who have made my uh, uprising and upbringing Um, and that is a lot of the Native American communities with that the Native American communities the the tribes they taught me about their medicinal plants they taught me about their uh, herbal remedies that they use for their sick children or they just taught me about the ways of thinking about the environment and again like really made an impact on like my own life and finding that like sense of community but then also understanding how my sense of purpose as like a human being or like my the reasons why i'm on this earth today is because of like reciprocity and like trying to find connection and community both with other people but with the land itself with the earth itself and native american and and indigenous peoples from all over the world have helped me understand that so in a way they are both shaping me personally, but they are also shaping me politically, ecologically, you know, and all these different things. And so uh, I've had tremendous opportunities uh, to work with different coalitions uh, and nonprofits. The one coalition that I worked uh, for, uh, they are called Rights and Resources. They're a global coalition that worked in uh, regions of Latin America, Africa, and Asia, and, I got to work within the Asia region and involve myself in uh, Indonesia, Nepal, and India, like mainly with the uh, Adivasis. So Adivasis translates to original peoples in Indonesia, <laughs> that was hard for me to say. Really learning from them about how their um, relationships with each other and with the land just impacted me and my ways of my relationships with other people um, and how I view the environment in plants you know whether we use plants for uh, medicines whether we use plants and crops for food or if we just love looking out at nature you know some people just love spending time out in nature and looking at pretty things (laughs) and so uh but it's it's then thinking about why do we like those pretty things what's considered pretty you know eurocentric ideas of pretty or other ideas of pretty or other concepts of pretty and beautiful um and so really involving myself with all these different communities uh I think has a strong connection to me personally because one they have shaped who I am as an individual um but they also continue to like they continue to like take care of me as their own if that makes sense you know it just feels like you know I have that home I'm not displaced anymore or I don't have that sense of like I'm lost or like misguided. I can just, I know I can fall back onto the original peoples, the original stewards of the lands or other ethnic groups in Laos or Southeast Asia, you know, just learning from them and being able to really feel like I understand them, but I also understand myself a little bit better.
0: So glad that your journey has been able to uh, cross into these lands and peoples who have been welcoming of you and and so I wonder, like in the community of Rad Cafe, you were uh, willing to offer yourself to this space, and then like let this space offer you something. And what do you think was that exchange? What do you think your value was in this space? And I can tell you, like all, like you get you get lots of value, Christian. <laughs> but you. But then, um, what value did Rad Cafe give for you in aspects of community, um, as an ecosystem, giving back to you that you you, put yourself out to, and then yeah,
1: but again going back to this idea of like reciprocity, um. I again, I had in my younger years, I have had conversations in terms of like uh, political uprisings or like my political identities, but I never really had, I guess, space and time to kind of like explore that. And uh, with Rad Cafe, being able to understand politics a little bit more, um, both from the like, I guess, American politics, (laughs) um, but then also like just politics in general, um, I think Rad Cafe allowed. I guess rad cafe nourished me in ways that i would have not gotten if i continued my political journey here in the state of utah one the rad cafe is another you know they're my southeast asian communities i have that here in utah a little bit here in utah but (laughs) this cohort being virtual it has been so nice to you know like meet other folks from around the world um, who share similar you know, perspectives or similar ideas, but then also have vastly different interests. I just loved seeing everyone's passions and interests and also feeling like my passions and interests were um, of value to the space. With being a part of Rad Cafe, I don't know, I just really valued, again, that sense of like community that I guess I'm always seeking. I'm always reaching out to different ecosystems or spaces and seeing if I can build around that community and then with that community Um, And seeing how that can then be shuttled into, you know, like myself um, or like my communities that I engage in. And I think with everything being in like a virtual context, <laughs> we can network across so many different things, like the little mycorrhizal networks with the trees, because micro, I don't know if you know anything about arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi, but they expand the entire world um, through these underground network systems and they connect so many trees and so many landscapes to everything. And so um, I like to think uh, of myself and my communities as little parts of those mycorrhizal networks um, as we're like communicating from like far distances yet we're still supporting soils and parts of land and stuff like that together i think also the rad cafe really me see the value of my own work (laughs) i guess you could say it that way um because i tend to i I tend to undervalue my own experiences or like my own work to have a cohort you know ask questions or be interested you know in my passions and uh the same thing you know with that uh with everyone else in the cohort, me being interested in their passions and interests. It really is that like abundant and fulfilling kind of ecosystem that Rad Cafe is kind of building. It is all connected to, again, like these socio-political spheres and other stuff too. Ah,
0: wow. Yeah, what'd you say it was called? The micro-rhizals? Is that what you said?
1: Yeah, micro-rhizal um, network. Uh, they are arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi. They are just such amazing little species i guess you would call it (laughs) um but they are just an underground network of fungi fungi fungus funguses fungi (laughs) however you want to call them um and they they just create so many symbiotic relationships (laughs) with uh with the soils with the uh bacteria in the soils with the microorganisms in the soils but then also with the plants and again this whole like chain or just this circular ecosystem <laughs> of things
0: hell yeah sorry there was a bit of a video audio lag so i was like not sure when when you stopped um and just for the audience uh in case i forget to put this into the show notes mike mycorrhizal is spelled m-i-c-o myco um r-r-h-i-z-a-l network quickly myco, what's what's the latin for that do you know what I, i've seen that
1: mycology and like micro remediation all relate back to fungi so i don't know if the like latin like i don't know if the latin word micro means fungi but um it is in relation to fungus and fungi and all you know that that whole world because fungi are not plants um they are considered myco and mycology is the study of fungi so i don't know what Michael means, but my guess it would be fungi or somewhere around that sorts.
0: <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't doubt that at all. Cool. And f- I think we'll end it like this or we'll end it on this topic earlier. You talked about, you know, your arts. Right. And I know that I met you through Seeds, the Seed Projects Sea um, Change Lab for artists um, for Southeast Asian youth to have an incubator space for them to, like, develop in their, their um, relationship to arts. And yeah, what what's what's your art art thing? <laughs> what
1: is what is the other road that I'm on right now that I'm exploring? Um yeah, my artistic uh journeys. I guess my artistic medium right now is photography and graphic design, but I've been exploring um like writing and poems and uh all of that sorts, but um I I, one, am so grateful to the Sea change Lab um, program because again, they have been just another uh, opportunity for me to network and again, build that community with other folks and then uh, have that reciprocal relationship with each other, but um, my artistic journey, I guess, uh, started off with uh, photography because when I was just a kid, when I was little, i would always carry around um either like our gigantic like video camera that had like a little flip screen i don't even know i don't know it was a really old camera and uh there's actually we have it somewhere but we have like an old videotape of me dancing to like britney spears i'll have to find it someday and see see if i can show y'all because uh my family loves to bring that up all the time but just from when i was little i loved to Uh, Carry a camera around whether that was a little point-and-shoot or like a film camera or a video camera. I was always Capturing things I was always taking pictures of family of plants of uh, people and uh, As I grew older I wanted to explore uh, I wanted to explore what I could do with you know taking photographs Um, and the the market (laughs) the photography industry i guess i should say in the state of utah is very big uh in the terms of like photographers are always needed because so many people are are always getting married so many people are always having events or uh doing you know something that needs to be uh photographed and so my my first i guess exploration started out in that kind of realm where i wanted to uh explore you know taking photos of uh couples of people um but even before so even before taking photos of like weddings and events and people I was taking self-portraits of myself because (laughs) that's why they're called self-portraits I was taking self-portraits um because I I wanted to capture my own emotions in um in a photograph because uh because I I couldn't think of other ways to express them um other than through like music um i also play the violin Um, i used to play the cello and piano but violin is my main instrument so uh that was one way of expressing my myself Um, but i wanted to explore other forms of expression and through photography so that's why i was taking self-portraits um but then going back to the whole like photography industry in utah uh the whole gigs of like booking weddings and all these other kinds of events and uh portraits um I I wanted to dip my toes into that area a little bit. And I did, and I started my own uh, photography business for a little bit, Um, but soon realized that it was a very toxic uh, community to be in. And it really took a toll on my art making and my storytelling. Um, So I took a break, I like stopped taking clients. I uh, took a break from creating anything Um, And it wasn't until I, again, joined Sea Change Lab this past summer, where I kind of, I guess, rejuvenated the artist in me, (laughs) where um, I felt like I could create what I wanted to create again, and I could tell the stories that I wanted to tell and explore. Um, And... Because because of Sea Change Lab, because of the other folks in my life, friends and family who you know have supported me in both my academics, <laughs> in my personal life, and in you know art making and storytelling, um, I've been able to uh, explore other mediums. Whether that is writing, I'm. <laughs> I love watercolor, but watercolor is such a finicky medium to work with. (laughs) And so um, I'm trying to learn more about watercolors and how I can incorporate that. Like mixed media is just very fascinating to me. And I love, um, I think this kind of, again, reflects back to who I am as a person, mixed media, pulling in different resources to create different stories and create a different picture um, to nourish an ecosystem, to nourish this painting or this artwork. Mixed media is also another thing that I've been uh, fascinated by in exploring. So that artistic journey uh, has been ignited again, I guess you could say, and I'm still exploring uh, where where that will take me.
0: Yeah. Uh, very grateful for you tonight, Christian, and for, for your participation. Enriching this space, Rack Cafe would be a lot less interesting without you and everyone on it. For, for a couple of minutes, I've been trying to force this pun in like um <clears throat> give me a second give me a second I'm gonna, I'll, I'll land it and then you can tell me how how hideous it is <laughs> it's it's um, gonna
1: come it's gonna be good i can feel it
0: <laughs> right right it's emerging you're gonna be like oh this is such a dud um thank you for showing us the mic uh micro ne- uh, network of your life your passions for the ecosystems around us for the plants people for your personal work and figuring out yourself in the world as a genderqueer Laotian person helping us see that mycorrhizal network as it shaped your research and your participation in the frame, in the in the photo of, of Rad Cafe. Did I did I land it? <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> I think that is very good. We are we're exposing the micro mycorrhizal network because it is an underground system of fungi. Um and uh i i think finding ways to talk about that network system uh whether that is through plants people or other ecosystems uh is fascinating and a great way to talk about it and i think rad cafe has been uh one of those stops on the highway in that network system uh little detour to take uh which has been really nice yeah i've been very appreciative of everyone in the cohort and very appreciative to you um for both supporting me in the sea change lab and also in rad cafe too uh but then also in just my own personal life uh you have been uh a good a great i should say <laughs> individual a good being presence in my life a great presence in my life that's a good way to say it
0: <laughs> that that warms my heart so much christian i wish uh we uh, to the audience this is an aside but you can i guess you can listen to this to listeners um I'll, apparently rena saw, i don't know how many tickets are left for rena here in in minnesota but like everywhere her show else is sold, sold out, out
1: so. no all of her shows are sold out and i'm so sad <laughs> oh baby
0: i'm so sorry <laughs> i can fly you out here all of them you check the twin cities oh yeah the twin cities one are sold out yeah
1: yeah yeah she i think she just made a post the other day that all of her uk and u.s shows are sold out so <laughs> we'll see what how a it good goes. problem yeah what a great congratulations problem for to our queen
0: <laughs> yes oh. holy crap any shows that you're gonna check out any shows worth seeing i know you went to see purity ring um and any other things yeah yeah
1: so uh the most recent show that i was at was the Tinashe, uh concert she was amazing um her opener her name is rayami she is another uh Amazing Asian artist, you could check her out too. That's spelled R E I, A M I. (laughs) Um, All right. And uh, upcoming shows, I actually am going to. uh, They're a band called Coin. They they used to be like an indie rock band, but they're more pop or they're more like pop now. Um, And then I'm also seeing SZA. She is coming to Salt Lake City, out of all places. (laughs) Um, But there is there is other underlying comments about the SZA (laughs) concert that. We could talk about off chats. Oh. <laughs> um, oh, okay. But yeah, I will be going to Coin and Scissor in the upcoming future. But if you have extra tickets to the Rina Sawayama show, whoever's listening, please let me know because <laughs> Rina Sawayama is amazing. And if you haven't heard of her, also check her out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, seed audience, hook up, plant sibling up, right here, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, C- Christian? Yes. Christian, needs your help to live their best life. Yes. Y'all can, y'all can h- make it happen, come on.
1: Please, please make it happen. I need to see Rina Sawayama at least once in my life.
0: <laughs> I'm sure she'll have more concerts, she better. No. She's going to have a second album, going to be, like, monstrous.
1: No, I'm sure she will, because she is, she's outside of working on her tour right now, she has been working on um, her next album um i I stay pretty up to date with her and she is an up and up and up and coming rising star upcoming rising star that's the word that I was looking for and so I'm sure we will see more from her.
0: <laughs> We'd better especially with that whole debacle about her not getting like what that prize because she's like not
1: she's not uh british she's not her citizenship is yeah yeah I told you
0: about that already <laughs> for for the audience um can, can you quickly like briefly summarize that that whole debacle.
1: Um yeah, so over in the UK, uh, they have an awards called the Brit Awards. Um and so Rina Sawayama she released um her debut album in, in 2020 uh, titled Sawayama. Um and her album, her her album and herself, her art's work um was declined nominations for the Brit Awards because they don't see her as a uh, british britain citizen britain uh british citizen british 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 citizen um because of her identity as a japanese british woman uh, uh and so because of that uh a lot of i guess her fans are called pixels <laughs> um pixels among other folks uh who are engaged in the award shows around the world um, we're mad because Sawayama is such a beautiful masterpiece that tells the story of an Asian American woman or Asian UK woman, <laughs> Asian American woman. <laughs> um,
0: and all English-speaking Asians all, are Asian American, no matter yeah, what. <laughs> no. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm like, I don't know how to refer to that now. But, anyways, because she wasn't nominated for the Brit Awards, um, she decided to take actions because she was. She is super proud of her debut album, and she feels she has lived in the UK for a majority of her life. Yes, she was born in Japan. She has Japan J- uh, Japanese citizenship, um, but a majority of her uprising is in. The uk and for them to decline her an award or even like a, a, a nomination uh is an interesting uh field to navigate because uh it is almost like a a form of border controls for award shows or for art making and uh yeah Rina saoyama uh really Took it to the people and was like, "I'm not going to let this happen to me." And uh, surprisingly enough, uh, I so I made a whole presentation about that debacle and that happenings of the Brit Awards, and I presented that to my friends. And a couple weeks later, she was like recognized for some other award. Um, I don't remember what it is, but uh, she didn't. She obviously wasn't nominated or got a Brit Award, but she was recognized for this other thing, <laughs> um, and that's because she did all of she was like i'm not going to tolerate this bullshit um and yeah that's that is kind of a kind of a summary of (laughs) what has happened to her uh as an artist
0: yeah thank you for that summary and you know hearts out to rena and all all her pixels for (laughs) well i mean at this point like if the brit awards are going to be like that they're they're useless anyways they're totally like bankrupt of any meaning but you know the fight still matters to be like we're not going to you're not going to strip us of our dignity yes. and our integrity.
1: Yes, I totally agree with that.
0: Uh, hopefully, Rad Cafe is that sort of dignifying, integrity-rich space that allows more people like us to, like, if ever an institution says that we're not enough, that we are, don't belong, or whatever, we have there will be more spaces like Rad Cafe that helps us feel supported to, like, say, like, screw you to the powers that be um, and build our own mycorrhizal network <laughs> yeah. um, among each other and be unbeatable all, all, all over the world. Um, yes,
1: we will become powerful with our mycorrhizal networks.
0: <laughs> amazing. Well, thank you so much, Christian. I look forward to seeing, um, hearing everything that you do, in in your life. You are such a gem. You are such a force, and I'm so happy to be, in, okay, uh, yeah, community in community in mycorrhizal network with you with everyone else.
1: Yes, thank you so much for having me. It was so lovely to see you again.
0: And that's it, folks. Hope to see um, all y'all for the next Rad Cafe podcast episode. Um, we've got. Several more ahead of us, and everyone's really great. And I'm so happy, so honored to be in community in MicroRigel Network with every one of them. Um, until next time, bye.